0: Welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discussing pop culture with a geeky bit. Uh, we're back again, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Chris. Chris, how's it going out there? How how's your uh, humor setting today? Is it about seventy
1: or eighty? Um, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it about eighty at the moment, but I'll let the I'll let the listeners be the judge of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could outwit
0: Tars any day. I'm sure I could. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't guessed already, we're talking about the. Uh, 2014 I think Blockbuster. 2014 yeah Interstellar directed by Chris Nolan but before we get into that Chris have you got any news to share with the
1: audience because I know you're desperate to to
0: use your drop in
1: (laughs) have you got any news I really have been racking my brains trying to find some sort of news and I, I don't think there's much I think we've already mentioned the Buffy reunion haven't we on a previous episode that there's like there's been a reunion with the whole Buffy cast oh really oh well that's almost news Oh, yeah, well, it's, it's it's news to us, so <laughs> so so we could drop that in. That's a news nugget. Yeah, there was a uh, a full cast reunion with um, uh, everyone to celebrate the the anniversary this year, and uh, yeah, I haven't actually had a chance to sit down and watch it, but you know, the whole gang was there, even like David Boreanaz and Seth Green, nice um, people like that. I I don't know if um if uh, number one super fan Juliet Landau was there.
0: It would be great if Juliet could hit us up on Twitter actually with a few, you know maybe dms a report or something because she is her number one fan
1: juliet come on the show and talk to us about whatever film or tv show or whatever we happen to be talking about that week we really should get her people to talk to my people to our people to your yeah our people yeah which i think is mum yeah mum would organize that for us <laughs> she can organize just about anything i think <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yeah news news nuggets over news nuggets over unfortunately no news no major news nuggets probably not enough for you to drop 2014, you're um, only slightly younger than you are now. Chris Nolan's Interstellar comes out and you don't see it at the cinema.
1: It completely passes me by. How, how does a film like that, because this is a major blockbuster, how does that actually pass you by? I'll tell you. Because um, uh, I was thinking about this specific uh, point. close friend of mine and uh, co-host of my other podcast, Game Oversight, Tom Murray, uh, comes to me one day and he says, hey, we're all going to the cinema tonight. We're all going to see Interstellar. And I nod And I look like I know what I'm talking about, but this is the first I've heard of a film called Interstellar. As such, I'm not particularly interested. I think I was already kind of busy that night, didn't make any huge plans to uh, cancel and just said, "Um, no, I don't think I'm going to make it, you know, go have fun. So I had no idea that it was going to be a, a massive big deal. I had no idea who was in it. I had no idea that it was Chris Nolan's newest film. I knew nothing. Because I just don't seem to to frequent the the areas of the internet where you find out what's new in films and TV <laughs> shows. I don't know what it is. The well-worn question. It's only been ten episodes, nine episodes. What did you think? Okay, so I had, a, uh, I had a little look back over all the things you've set me so far, and you've only actually set me two films thus far, which was uh, The Life Aquatic and... Uh, Watchmen and uh, for both of those I told you you know there were caveats or um, asterisks to to any enjoyment that I had and I can say um, thankfully uh, I fully and unreservedly loved this movie great uh, there are no asterisks there's no you know uh, except for this major gaping flaw you know I really enjoyed it at a very good time watching it I thought it was a uh, a really, really good movie. It, you know, I, I think there's a couple of little niggles I have with it that I'll I'll bring up throughout the show. But um, no, generally, very. Uh, I, I have very high opinions of it.
0: I loved this film too. I loved it in the cinema as well, and it's got a good uh, reputation. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not as great as as other films that Chris Nolan has directed, and that maybe because of some of the areas that are up for debate. Uh, come up in these reviews uh, whether that's about uh, the importance of love or whether that's uh, the plan A versus plan B or the science of it Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly for me uh, it's just a it's a terrific mind-bending film with lots of big ideas and we talked about this with Donnie Darko as well like you you want to come out of a film and talk about it and and just revel in its originality rather than going to see the latest uh, in a series of films.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I felt this sort of this almost feeling of awe after I was finished watching it. Um, So this is one I watched with the wife. We sat and watched it together.
0: Yeah, I got the wife involved
1: too. Afterwards, we just sort of sat in silence for a little bit. I didn't know if she'd enjoyed the movie or not because uh, legendarily she does not like sci-fi of any kind. And there's very few um exceptions to that rule. But she sort of started to nod at me, you know, just to say like, yeah, that was pretty good. And yeah. it's just been sort of drips and drabs every now and again. I'll just sort of go, so you know that bit where... <laughs> and, <I'll> just, <laughs> and it's just little things that just occur to me, like, a day or two later. Like, what, do you, what did you think of that? And, yeah, you know, it's it's it sparked off some conversations for us. Um, but I, yeah, I, I really, really loved it. One of the first things I did, actually, mm-hmm. uh, after finishing uh, was I messaged a friend of mine who has a master's degree in astrophysics and okay. I just said like tell me about the science of this film is it bullshit or you know is there some nuggets of, of, of truth or whatever and he was like you know what it's pretty much all there <laughs> like it's pretty damn accurate yeah. um you know their consulting physicist I think was a guy called Kip Thorne that's right uh, yeah. I want to say and yeah he's he's pretty well regarded in the scientific community and uh, yeah, you know, from from what I can tell, uh, I'm sure you probably came across this in your research too. He was pretty set on if I work on this film, we're not having any flights of fancy that come from your imagination. You know, anything that is not real science will be theoretical science. Um, and yeah, you know, that really shows. And the film didn't feel hampered by it. You know, it it lent it lent a bit of weight and realism to to the idea of you know, of this story where it could have been almost Star Trekky, just zipping across the universe mm. without that feeling of weight or consequence to it, you know, whereas everything felt very like, you know, we need to conserve fuel, we need to think about, you know, the logistics of our plan here, and, you know, if we go to this planet, we probably can't go to this one and things like that.
0: It feels epic in scope whilst grounded in the science of it but the 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 way that it draws you in at the start so you're you're drawn in immediately with these um these documentary shots mm. which are actually taken from another film um and really i did not know that yeah so it's from a ken burns documentary um ken burns did the famous documentary on the civil war and everything he did this one on the dust bowl oh okay and they repurposed those to kind of get so those are all real people not actors uh talking about the um i think it's the 1930s uh, late 1920s uh-huh. um, but, of course, ascribed to the the same kind of future where the blight has taken on and um, our crops um, are dying. Uh-huh. And only corn can grow. And uh, there seems to be... I think they said at one point, John Lithgow's character says, like, a tenth of the population of Earth is is left.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, cer- he certainly... Because he has that talk, doesn't he, where he's like, you know, six billion people. Can you imagine that? Um, and that's our first... That's our first hint as to roughly where we are in a sort of timescale.
0: And I love that. I love that aspect of this kind of original world building, Chris, of, uh, and they don't tell you too much about it. So you can't, I mean, you can pick at it, but um, that's that was what really drew me in about it was this idea of this, um, this alternate earth hmm. where all this is real and there's, there's only 10% of the population and they're having to, all be farmers and matthew mcconaughey is useless in this future yeah
1: it's it's a really yeah you know, it's very good very high concept and yeah that's that's something i like especially for a film that is so grounded in the science and if we're going to do this we're going to do it right kind of thing but it doesn't it doesn't sit down and force exposition down your throat you know at any point I think another director would have gone like I'm going to confuse people here. So I think we're going to have to have a scrawl at the start that explains the blight. I'm going to have some really clunky dialogue where people say, well, you know now that we can only grow this and you know whatever else. <clears throat> and you know to an extent you have to have those kind of conversations a little bit as uh, hmm. so, you know so your audience isn't entirely lost. Um I'm thinking particularly of the parents the the the, the parent um parent teacher conference where they kind of fill in a few of the gaps for us, you know, uh, as regards the world and its current state. But again, done in quite a convincing and, and, and sort of um, natural way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a cracking uh, universe to draw you in. So let's talk about McConaughey. Oh, did you love McConaughey or did you love McConaughey?
1: I loved Matthew McConaughey and I actually took a look at his IMDb. And yep. pretty much there's very few films that I've seen where he has a starring role. Um he briefly cameoed in a couple of films I watched, like uh Wolf of Wall Street, uh and things like that. And um the only film the only film I've seen with him in a starring role was the dragon film Reign of Fire. Do you remember that? With I think Bale was in it as well.
0: Yeah <laughs> I've never seen it.
1: You've never seen it? Well, don't. Um, it's not very <laughs> good. I I remember that film in the way that you remember uh, Deep Blue Sea. Like, it was a really funny cinema going experience, but uh, you know I couldn't just sit and watch the film by itself. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah. So Matthew McConaughey's always kind of been this sort of mystery to me. I've never really seen him in a You know, in in a starring role of anything. And I was in. You you really connect with him uh at one point i've got i've got a note that just says mcconaughey is crushing it um <laughs> which was about um we're skipping ahead chronologically here but yeah and um you know in the film once they're in space and he's just come out of sort of deep sleep i think just before they go into the wormhole and he's he's watching back years worth of his
0: Um, It's after they come from the water planet, isn't it? And he sees 23 years worth of videos. That's
1: right, that's right, yeah, because of the time dilation. So yeah, he says 23 years worth of videos, nothing from his daughter, you know, up until, I think right at the end of that. But um, yeah, so it's all all his son, and we see him grow up. uh, We see a change of actor to the wonderful Casey Affleck. And uh, yeah, you know, you're just seeing it all on McConaughey's face. Hmm. And it's it's perfect. He absolutely nails it. You know, he goes from, oh my God, you know, I'm overjoyed to see my son's life. He's 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 got a wife, he's got kids, he's making his own family. And then the sort of the bitter sweetness of that kind of hits him that he's missing it all. And that he's just seeing these little videos and not living it, or you know, presumably not being there with him. And he's just sort of really breaking down. And then the videos take on a much more sad tone. To the point where he's saying, like, I have to let you go. I have to accept that you're probably dead. Yeah. Or that you're definitely not coming back. Um, And it's really hit me as this notion of, like, one-way communication. They can send messages to him. He can't send the messages back. And, yeah, it's just, it's all played out on on McConaughey's face. I don't think he even says anything. It's just all, um, it's all through his reactions. And I I felt it. The wife was in floods. Oh, my goodness. Was she? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that that scene got her, um, and, <laughs> and that's how I know. That's how I know a film has some degree of emotional resonance. Um, if if the wife if the wife sheds a tear or two, um, and and that bit that bit certainly got her going. And I could re- I really felt it myself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just yeah, really uh, got me in the feels. But you know, McConaughey's so great as well at just playing that charismatic kind of likable guy and. Yeah, you know, he's you're you're always kind of rooting for him.
0: Yeah, he is very charismatic. He's a great lead actor in this film. But what he brings to it is he's got a real kind of pathos, a real kind of emotional uh oh god, how would you describe it? Let me describe it. Um Yeah, he's just really good in this film yeah. of bringing. it's just really good. Full stop. I can't bring yeah. I can't bring myself to say any more. McConaughey equals good actor. <laughs> I think I've taken that away from this film. No, he's yeah, he, yeah. he is terrific in this film because <laughs> of that kind of the emotional bond that he has with his is well with his daughter rather than with yeah. his son. I mean that's a little bit underplayed the whole son aspect, you know. I don't He's got really... very
1: very different kind of relationships with them. Um Yeah, yeah. I think I think at this point I think I, sh- I should probably just bring up this is probably taking us to one of one of my only kind of gripes. I'd say about the film, or at least the way it's put across. Mm-hmm. But I think my one gripe is that right early on, you know, they really set up this relationship. You know, his relationship to his son is kind of a, you know, ruffle his hair, you'll take over the family business, you're a good kid kind of relationship. But with his mm-hmm. daughter, it's that very deep daddy daughter bond, um, you know, where they sort of do everything together. And she obviously idolizes him. And, yeah, you know, she. Does, she yeah and he's very very protective of her they go off on their grand adventure to to find the coordinates of what will ultimately turn out to be the nasa base and this is this is basically my problem we get to that scene he has a chat with michael Caine. and yeah. it does not take a huge amount of convincing for him to to go out on this mission
0: but it's not it's not just that chris this is also my great with the, <laughs> yeah. that part of the film is, so when I was originally watching it in the cinema, yeah. it's very quick to get to that that point, And mm-hmm. it all seems a bit far-fetched. What, there's just coordinates in his house? And he's just... When you watch it a second time, it's a bit more... It makes it a lot more sense because you've seen the ending at that point and you're re-watching yeah. it for all the clues. Mm-hmm. He, he bumps into the rem- the remnants of NASA and within about five minutes, he is the pilot and the lead of this mission. doesn't yeah. take much convincing. It's like, you're the best pilot I know. I need you to go. All right. I'm going to go. <laughs> it, was the, it was the role I was born to play, baby. Yeah, And there's,
1: <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's two problems in that for me. The first is how quickly he's like, cause he knows, he knows the reality of the situation that there is a very good chance he won't come back. Mm. Um, there is, it's incredibly dangerous and so many things could just go wrong. So he knows he's potentially sacrificing his chance to ever see his kids again. Um, and so that doesn't take a lot of convincing, you know, beyond, you know, you know, the world's going to end, uh, you know, so fair enough. But the, the more galling part of it as well is that Michael Caine starts giving it like, you know, it's got to be you. And so, well, well, you didn't. You didn't even know he was coming here. So yeah, exactly. your plan did not include him in any way, shape or form. And now he just happens to have waltzed in. You're now making out like, I can't do this without you. Yeah. Well, what the fuck were you hoping was going to happen? Like, <laughs> I, It just... Yeah. It, that was a real... You know, I don't want to be like a... Kind of asshole who just sits there and picks apart at one tiny plot hole. Because everything has them. But yeah. it's it's just a moment for me where I felt like... There was just a bit of a lack of logic from, from Michael Caine's character. and From Conaghy, I'm just kind of like... You know, your life is being a father. In fact, that's all you've got. Because... Because being an engineer isn't real anymore and, you know, you, you don't work for NASA anymore. And so I think the whole idea is that he has this kind of adventurous spirit within him uh, that that has just been quashed by the realities of his world.
0: Mm. Oh, very much so. yeah. And you see that in the parent-teacher conference when he's being told
1: that Neil Armstrong uh, moon landing was faked. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I had to... T- I felt I had a, I made a point for that in my notes, just that I wanted to bring it up. Can you believe the amount of people in the real world that we live in who still think that the moon landing was a fake? <laughs> like it's something that really bothers me. And even though I knew that the character who was saying it in the film was meant to seem ridiculous, I was actually sitting there grinding my teeth uh, <laughs> at that point because of the amount of people in my own experience that I've met that think it's a fake, right? That that legitimately think that there would be that there would be any reason for somebody to fake a moon landing
0: but that is that is a great example chris of just some of the um so some of the small leaps that the film takes so it's a great film but it does take some small leaps um of of logic at times so we need coop to be the leader of the mission so he bumps well he gets told by hmm, should i spoil it it's a relatively it's still a relatively young
1: film should i actually say it Oh yeah, if, if someone's listening to this, they, they've they either watched it or... Okay, I'm going yeah. to
0: spoil it anyway, so spoiler alerts for the rest of this, but um, he's told by himself, from the future, kind mm-hmm. of, through gravity, to to find NASA, um, and then it's just NASA convincing themselves at that point, it's like, oh, you're the best damn pilot there ever was, and these kids can't fly for shit, they've just been through the simulator, we need you. I don't uh, know why I, I didn't know. think
1: to call. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> exactly, like, I could have picked up the phone, you're like hours away. That's what kind of bothers me. It's like it would not have taken a huge amount of of tweaking to the script to instead say, like, you know, have Michael Caine just be like, why haven't you been returning my calls? Or something like that. He did a Michael Caine impression. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, it wouldn't have taken much to have just a slight difference that because he doesn't know he's going to a NASA base. He's just following some coordinates for funsies. So it could very much be like they've been trying to get in touch with him and he's kind of fighting that urge because he's like, yes, I'm kind of, you know, fucked off with my lot in life that I've just become a farmer when I'm mm. uh, a genius uh, ace pilot who, you know, wants to be out there exploring and adventuring. But at the same time, he has such a massive link to this world, his kids. And I don't think there's enough to sell me on for the greater good and for their specific greater good, I'm going to leave. Um, yeah, And, you know, part of that's just me being a parent and thinking like, well, I wouldn't leave my kid because of a five-minute conversation with someone um yeah so i think that was probably my only real niggle actually with the film um which was sort of fairly early on but like i say i understand you know it's kind of like the the 2009 star trek like i know everything happens at breakneck speed and not a lot of it makes a massive amount of sense but it gets us to where we need to be and it makes me happy um (laughs) And sim- similarly here, it's like I'm kind of hand waving a few things here because I know that I don't want to watch a three hour film. And so I get, I get that some things have to be sped up a little bit, and you know we've got to get to the point, we've got to get to the point where he's in space. But you've got to have had enough time to care about the fact that he's leaving in the first place.
0: Yeah, exactly. It would be a very different film if the whole film was um, he's at the farm and and Michael Caine draws up and he spends twenty minutes trying to convince him to leave the planet. Uh, and instead they spend that time you you kind of get emotionally invested in the kids uh chasing down that drone and going to the parent, parent teacher conference and everything going to the baseball game which is another good scene oh yeah great but i think I yeah but i think with all of that just going back to mcconaughey is that like him saying goodbye to murph is another kind of great it's
1: emotional heartbreaking heart- is absolute absolutely heartbreaking heart- what is it he
0: says to her? he says uh don't make me leave this way that's it don't make yeah. me leave this way and it, yeah. It, it, yeah, it gets you in the feels watching there, um, coming up in your throat. like, Oh God, he's gonna have to go, isn't he? And she's not gonna yeah. forgive him. Um, and then the books keep falling off the shelf. You're like, oh, why is that happening? Mm, that will come in handy later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then she and then he drives off to to go fly off. Of course, she then flies out the house. Of course, to 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 chase him down. All too McC- late. It's McC- exactly. But but is really sells it. He's really the center of the film, and I think that's why you go along with some of these logic leaps as i call them like they need him to lead the mission yeah it could have been a phone call but they do it that way and i'm willing to forgive it because of him and because of michael kane and the rest of them it was such a great
1: cast superb casting uh top to bottom I, you know i can't fault anyone really um i think they did a very good job as well because obviously there's three people who play Murph throughout and mm-hmm. um i think i think they did some excellent casting to get people who feel believably like an older version of each each previous iteration love lithgow of course you know he's he's very much that kind of the voice of reason and and kind of you know that, that sort of that sort of guiding voice at the start and uh you know obviously anne hathaway as well you know yeah can't get enough of her she's great and everything so before before
0: we leave the earth um one thing I do want to say Chris is I love the fact that that even though it's the future and this is um this is a dystopia if you want kind of a dystopia mm-hmm. um it's a really such a visceral world between the dust uh, and the storms and um everyone's kind of stories and the the built-in documentary pieces it mm-hmm. really felt like there was a realness to it yeah which for some sci-fi films they are so intent on putting you in the far future like mm-hmm. glass towers and uh, cgi scapes that uh, the beginning of this film of the sci-fi film is all on a corn farm somewhere yeah it's, it's having those kind of elements of like the dust and having them explained to you through the documentary inserts and then going around and seeing the remnants of nasa being 10 guys or whatever it's, yeah. it's actually more than 10 guys but it's very all underground and secret Mm -hmm. um i just think it was just a fantastic kind of realness to the world that kind of brings you into it before they actually then uh take you off into the endurance and then finally through the wormhole
1: i think they really nailed that concept because there's a lot of you know when people show you the future it's either the the, you know the like you say the crazy glass towers the star trekky kind of everything's ridiculously futuristic um or they go kind of dystopia which i suppose you'd call this uh you know but then everything almost kind of goes too far in the other direction you know whereas this you know again we have that that um scene with um with lithgow where he's basically just like well you know back in my day it just seemed like every day there was a new invention which is you know you really connect with because that is 100 percent the world we're living in now you know we are living in the future we have you know smartphones and virtual reality helmets and fucking hoverboards and everything's real and everything's happening and it really does feel like technology is moving a, a, you know, preposterously fast rate right now, which can often lead to a kind of bust. <laughs> yeah, uh, in a sense, because that sort of growth is unsustainable. So we either end up with, the you know, the Jetsons, or, you know, something like this happens that we're actually not prepared for. Uh, and yes, it kind of goes down that dystopian route. But, you know, at the same time, it didn't just drag everything back to the Stone Age like people like to. It's just like, well, you know, things are just a bit more rural again, and we have to focus on basic human needs again You yeah. know, it doesn't mean that everything's destroyed or doesn't work anymore, it's just no one gives a shit about smartphones because they're no good to you if you can't eat so we need people yeah. out there tilling the fields, um, so yeah it was a really really well done um, you know, first part of the film, it gives us a real grounding before we go off on this space age adventure.
0: And then we, we go off into space and we meet the rest of our characters including Tars, my favourite Love uh, Tars. <laughs> the 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 believable um really oddly shaped robot that kind of stands tall like a monolith but kind of walks around like how would you describe that it's like a spinning dial or something i'm not quite sure but yeah
1: well um, he's got he's he's got that sort of mode hasn't he that sort of spinning yeah that spinning kind of ball mode um and then he just sort of hobbles around at other times and
0: he's sense of humor oh <laughs> <laughs> that back yeah. slick
1: yeah it was very good lots of uh lots of good banter between him and the crew um yeah again you know i it, it's uh it's it creates a character that we very quickly come to care about um yeah and-
0: whereas in like rogue one the robot is the best character here he's just one of the good characters i think mm-hmm. there's a lot of good characters to get emotion invested in instead like, as opposed to rogue one where it's the robot and then there's a big drop off to everyone else but you haven't yeah. watched rogue one chris so we'll do that in another podcast yeah i think we'll have it. to talk about it in another podcast <laughs> Um, so at this point, let's let's talk about so they they go through the wormhole, mm-hmm. um, which is another kind of crazy effect, mind bending uh, science effect, um, and then they they go through to this other galaxy, uh, and yeah. the first adventure really is on the water
1: planet, visually stunning. Um, it's uh, one of the many reasons I wrote I wrote down just that I really wish I'd seen it in the cinema, um, yeah, this film because it's visually absolutely phenomenal, and. Yeah, you know, scenes like that, the massive tidal waves. Um, and I actually wrote a note as well, something along the lines of uh, tension and consequence. Uh, my point being that I'm really feeling tense here because I do feel like anyone could die. You know, mm. that because no one really had died up until that point. But I just felt like, oh, my God, I'm getting a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach that one of these guys is going to snuff it here. And, and that's great because the tension yeah. then felt real and every action had a consequence, which meant I could become more invested in it and care about the situation. And I very much did. And I, I just knew something bad was going to happen.
0: Well, exactly. But also because of the, the time factor. Mm-hmm. That you know that there's this little girl and boy growing up on Earth and, and Michael Caine, who's supposed to be solving the, the riddle of gravity and doesn't, that that time is running out for them as well. Yeah. And that every time that something goes wrong on that planet, that there's going to mm. be something that affects. But you kind of knew it was something was going to have to happen because of the consequences. But you're right. You really do feel tense during those moments. And then when the, mm. the second tidal wave is coming as well, you're like, oh, God, is this all going to be
1: over? I think one of my only issues there, and maybe maybe it just, a bears re-watching but um i think maybe it was slightly down to the editing or something but they you know they get hit by the tidal wave so there's obviously um there's some damage to the ship that needs to be repaired uh and at that point you know the you know the robot basically says yep we're going to be here for earth time about 21 years now um trying to get this all sorted, but then it seems like they take off moments later. Like, yeah, so, it's editing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit of editing, but that sort of takes away from, you know, that, that almost, you know, painful feeling of like, oh God, we're only, you know, every minute here is is a huge amount of time that we're actually losing. And um, yeah, so I felt, again, you know, with the length of the film, you have to edit stuff out. Um, nothing, you know, you you can't make it perfect, but yeah, that was just one part where I felt it could have been a little, uh, we could have made us feel it a bit more. So at this
0: point, I want to raise another little thing I have an issue with. Just a little thing. Okay, go on. So they leave the planet. They're mm-hmm. bummed. They go back up. They meet their mate back on the endurance and they have to make a decision onto the next planet they go to. They either go to one planet where Anne Hathaway's, um... Bo is on or mm-hmm. they go to the other planet where the greatest scientist ever is on uh-huh. uh he's sending back data that's like too good to be true like it has to be a perfect planet right uh-huh. and then Anne Hathaway has her speech on love as love. a force love mm-hmm. now i would be interested to see how you take it on but I was I was kind of fine with it like I, c- I can go with it um that someone would, would say that and Ultimately, the the love that Matthew McConaughey has for his kids affects the end of the film. Uh Um, It's kind of bummed me out that it had to be down to Anne Hathaway as the kind of a typical woman. Uh, Even though she's as smart or smarter than everyone in that room, she's the one that's got to basically let her emotions come into it and, you know, get in the way of her decision-making like she's some sort of uh, stereotype.
1: Mm, I raised the exact same point. Uh, the next the next day I was walking with the wife and I was like, I was like, you know, uh, women are women are great in this film, um, you know, because obviously Murph is, is in many ways the hero uh, mm-hmm. of, of, of the day, although, you know, it is kind of her dad telling her what to do. So there's a bit, you know, there is a bit of that. But <laughs> my issue was, yeah, like um, Anne Hathaway, a couple of points comes time, kind of comes across as a silly little girl. Uh, you know, she makes the mistake on the on the ocean planet yep. that um, ultimately leads to the death of one of their colleagues and them losing several years. Uh, and, you know, straight away, she's chastising herself for it, as well as McConaughey not being too happy with her and, you know, sort of being like, stupid, stupid, stupid. And then Slap almost immediately, head, yeah. she starts giving this speech about, screw logic, it's all about love. And I said, the fact is, like, she, her redemption is the fact that she was right all along. Um, And actually, if they just listened to her, things would have gone a lot smoother. Um, But if she hadn't have been, then that would have been a real kick in the balls for me. Um, (laughs) Because because then it just would have been like, oh, silly woman, just listen to a man, please. (laughs) (laughs) You may have your degrees and whatever, but he's, you know, he's got testicles. So let's let's listen to him. Let's listen to man. In fact, let's talk. let's (laughs) Let's listen to the epitome of man. Doctor Man, Matt Damon. So they oh, go to another planet. <laughs> I did not know Matt Damon was going to be in this film, so I was hugely no excited. No one did.
0: No one did. <laughs> and he would he would appear uh, about less than a year later in The Martian. Martian, yeah, which is uh, yeah. another um, uh, stranded astronaut. It's a little bit um, at this point as well. It's a little bit. It's a little bit thick you know, he is Dr. Man. And of course, he's going to have all of man's weaknesses as well as strengths. <laughs> he is
1: John Everyman. He is John Everyman. <laughs> something I liked is what started to feel like it was coming across as a theme to me was was just a bit of an examination in general of human nature
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and the different situations everyone's put into and, and what that does to their human nature. Um, you know, so for example, here, we have an incredibly smart person who's done something incredibly selfless but the actual crippling loneliness of being literally the only living thing on a planet mm. leads him to do something that will potentially doom mankind and causes him to to attempt to murder Matthew McConaughey. And yet at no point did I feel like he was the bad guy. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because I felt like, you know, the point is that this is the, the loneliness drove him to this, the need to see another human face again because you know much as he thought he could handle it he couldn't
0: yeah and it, it was also explained by actually by him uh when he's talking when they realize what michael kane has done or not wow. done back on earth so you find that he's dead and that he's actually not worked on a plan a at all because it's it's impossible because you need data from within a black hole to be able to solve gravity yeah and uh he explains to them that you will keep working towards a goal if it's about your survival and your kids survival uh but outside your immediate circle you don't care like you don't give a fuck like i don't care if jerry down the street lives or dies it doesn't matter to me so Mm -hmm. asking people to sacrifice for the greater good would never happen so they have them working towards that goal and matt damon does the exact same thing you know he should be able to see through that and sacrifice himself and not guide them to this planet, but he can't help himself. He's he's yeah. lonely. He's he's just doesn't have that essential basic need, which is so companionship.
1: Companionship, yeah.
0: And you even feel for him because he had his robot chum for a while. If it's anything like Tars or Case Man, you want that fixed because they are hilarious. I love those guys. <laughs> I, I can't film, get enough of it. I want to
1: spin off with just Tars, just <laughs> the adventures yeah. of Tars. So that's good. Um so talking about Matt Damon and Matt Damon's Planet. Again, very visually striking. Um, You know, I really felt like... This is what I want, and this is when the new Star Trek comes. You know, this is kind of more of what I want to see. Like, don't just give me a planet that's exactly the same as Earth, but it's stuck in the, the Old West, or... But the sky is purple. You know, give me something that actually looks completely unique and,
0: whoa, whoa, and entirely whoa. different. Are you tell me the planet with the western stuff or with the red background is not
1: alien for you, Chris? Yeah, you know what? I take, I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> the red arrow was wonderful. But <laughs> the, um, moving ahead to the scene where uh, Matt Damon basically uh, nuts Matthew McConaughey several times, uh, right. dam- damaging his space helmet. Um, and then we have to watch what is an absolutely agonizingly perfect you know perfect depiction of of basically matthew mcconaughey is suffocating yep. because it's not a breathable atmosphere as they f- had as they had uh, been led to believe and again you know matt davis he's not playing it like a bad guy he's like i want to be here for you i don't want you to die alone i can't watch this but this has this has to happen but actually i can't watch it and then in the end he can't even listen to it you know you're really sitting there you're you're basically holding your breath yourself and i really thought like god this is a grim way for the hero of the film to die but i really thought they were gonna kill him there (laughs) um and and and, you know again that's just fantastic because the the film made me believe it the film made Mm. me believe even though there's that little logic in the back of your head going they're not gonna kill him yet if he dies it's at the end of the movie saving Mm. saving the world um because it's a movie
0: so let's talk about the ending. Mm-hmm. So the ending, um, they escape the escape man, <laughs> figuratively, <laughs> literally, and metaphorically, uh, uh-huh. and then set course for the final planet. But the only way to make it is to uh, to bring up your love of math, Chris, is Newson's Third Law, mm-hmm. which means you've got to leave something behind, which means you've got to leave Ma- Cotney Hate behind, and Tars, yeah. by Tars. And you both fall into Gargantua and eventually fall into the singularity at the middle of it, which just happens to be what Matthew, uh, what uh, what Murph back home needed, and they start transmitting. So, so what did you think about the the kind of two thousand and one mind bending aspect of the ending? Did you go with it? Is what I'm basically saying.
1: I did because the the film brought me with it, so I was willing to accept a lot of what I was seeing. Um, it was very interesting when he's falling into the black hole just before he gets to the big library bit. Uh, it actually kind of reminded me of uh in Willy Wonka where they go into the tunnel and you just start seeing these random flashes of things just for a few seconds, but you don't really know what you've just seen
0: <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and then Gene Wilder
1: starts singing that would be yeah. a great ending <laughs> it would i would, <laughs> I find the idea of going into that tunnel scarier than actually falling into a real black hole <laughs> it is <laughs> It is the stuff of nightmares for me, and then you kind of know what's happening as soon as you see you know we're behind the bookshelf you know you kind of knew well something like this had to have happened and it's it's very very interestingly well done because you know he's he's only able to affect things through gravity you know so he can't shout he can't do whatever else all he can do is literally use gravity to push back through time uh you know he does it to to sort of touch Anne Hathaway's hand and he does it to throw the books off the shelf and then it just sends him right back it's it's bringing me with it, because it's bringing the emotions of the film with it, too. So, uh, you know, where he's pushing the books off in Morse code, trying to say, stay, uh, you know, which we remember as the audience from the start of the film is exactly what Murph had picked up on, it, you know, was what he was trying to say in the first place. And of course, we already know, and he already knows that it's not going to work. But still, he's so desperate to make it happen. And, you know, he's screaming at himself. He's like, don't leave, don't leave, you idiot. It's, it's again, it's really like heart-wrenching and so well done. And so, yeah, so the film takes me with it. He realizes kind of what he's got to do. You know, at that point, I think he makes the comment, all along we've been thinking there was some higher power or some other beings that were leading us to this point. They created the wormhole and they've, you know, basically given us a map to the only habitable planets, uh, mm. you know, within reach. And he's like, no, it's us. It's us from the future. That's how it happened. It's it's all gravity and shit, and it, it all sort of clicks for him. Um, and at that point, I felt like that whole thing was kind of an oddly unexplored, untouched part of it. Mm. So this, so they had this notion. So they bring it up the, for the first time, I think, in NASA, where they're all just kind of stating matter-of-factly, like, "Oh yeah, no, there's there's something out there, or someone out there that's um that's been guiding us along, that's giving us a an out basically to get off the planet and save ourselves." Mm. Um, and nobody mentions the G word. Uh, it, religion doesn't come into it at all. Yeah. Which um, is a little odd, because especially with the sort of slightly more, you know, back to basics rural life that they're living, I would I, I would think that at least some people would maybe go down that route. But fine, so they don't mention that, and that's great. That's cool. Um, but then, it, you know, it gets mentioned once or twice again, but it doesn't seem to be a real thing. And no one really seems to question it. You know mcconaughey isn't like w- w- what are you telling me you're telling me there's some higher beings that are doing these things well mm. you know he just accepts it it's like oh okay there's 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 beings from a different dimension that are just helping us out well i won't question their motives that's fine you know it it almost seems like why include it because it really doesn't you know it really doesn't have that much importance and it really isn't a massive realization at the end when McConaughey. Sort of twigs because as the audience we're way ahead of him. Like we've yeah. already figured that out. That part didn't really land for me. I I, I felt they could have taken it out. Well, you, well, you say that,
0: but I think your your friend Kip Thorne might not agree with you because so to create the wormhole, a wormhole is in un, our current understanding mm-hmm. of quantum mechanics it is not a naturally occurring phenomena. It has to be created. You literally rip space time in two uh-huh. points, right? So it had to be put there by something, um, whether it be a benevolent alien species or whatever. So, but it makes complete sense for the loop, and this is what I was going to raise about about time travel. It's it's one of the great things. When I came out of this film, um, I watched it originally with a wife, and I rewatched it with a wife. And one of the reasons why I love it is it provokes discussion. Right, so uh-huh. we're we're not sitting here making fun of Al Pacino this week. We're sitting here discussing quantum <laughs> mechanics. Uh, now, we don't know much about <laughs> quantum mechanics. You probably know more than me no. because you're a mathematician, or at least an aspiring one. Uh, I know I know very
1: little myself, though, yeah.
0: It's a complex subject matter, but you're coming out of the movie, You know, whether we are watching it on Blu-ray at home or, or in the theatre, um, discussing the finer points of quantum mechanics and how there is no such thing as time travel, but if we got to a stage where we are our evolved beings, we could communicate through gravity, <laughs> yeah, to ourselves in the past to affect the start, so everything works in the way it's supposed to work, and the circle is complete. So, in that regard, I think it did have to, it did have to happen to make the film, uh, to make the film make sense. Otherwise, he just falls into the middle of a black hole and he's two thousand one style, just hanging with some bookshelves.
1: Yeah, no, I guess so. I think maybe they just could have made more of a thing of it, or, or people could have just been slightly less accepting of it. Um, but certainly I take the point that they they didn't just want to say oh a wormhole's just appeared and we don't know why but yeah in fact I, I must ask your your wife um, is not a big fan of time travel generally as a concept is she hates time travel hates it when it she comes she can't up. stand it if memory serves so how does she feel about that aspect of this film does she forgive it because it's so she scientific? she still has learned?
0: issues with it she still mm. has issues with the time travel in the film and time paradoxes in general whether it's back to the future or this she has a real issue <laughs> or hot tub time machine <laughs> to... she's never seen hot tub time machine but it came up last night i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> i said yeah but hot tub time machine chevy chase does this right okay it's the same idea it's the same idea you have to go it's the paradox of having to go back in time uh and do something in order for the future to make sense but what and Stella points out is actually there's no such thing as time travel, therefore what could you do? Well you could communicate through the fourth or fifth dimension, through gravity, uh rather than through time, because time is a constant. So therefore you cannot manipulate time, but you can manipulate gravity.
1: That's that's why it's really well done. You know, obviously the film the film gives us a little bit more of a conceptual understanding, you know, where he can actually see what he's affecting, which you of know. Course necessarily probably wouldn't be the case, but, you know, I've, I've always kind of felt that way because, um, you know, my, my general notion of, of time travel is, you know, we can theoretically travel forward in time in so much as well, you do exactly what they did. You you know, you could, you could be proximate to an object that is of such mass that time travels slower for you. You haven't really moved forward in time, but effectively you experience it much slower and and you're in the future. Hmm. Um. But I've always felt like any kind of backwards time travel relies on the notion that there's something there to go back to. Whereas, you know, what if there isn't? What if it's just we experience it and then it's gone and and what's here is here and, you know, there's no way to go back in time. There's no way to re-experience these things because there is only the current state we're in. Everyone that hates time travel probably hates it because of paradoxes. Of course. Um, and it does kind of create a paradox of, yeah, this kind of infinite loop. He needs to be there at this point in time to send the message back in time using gravity. But he would never have got there had he not got the message. And your brain falls out your ears trying to figure it out. But, um, yeah, you know, again, I think I think it's another strength of the film. I think it handles it very well. Um, and it doesn't spend forever trying to explain it to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's your only option, you know. You can either be silly about it, like like modern Doctor Who, and say, ah, it's just timey-wimey stuff, don't worry about it. It's just how it happens. You know, or or you kind of say, well, there is a reason behind it, but you wouldn't understand, and you don't need to. <laughs> well, Chris,
0: my preferred method of time travel is uh, going to warp speed around the sun, but um, we'll talk about that in another podcast. So, one of the great things about this film, and we've talked about it before, is that it, it presents this... Um, futurescape of earth
1: mm-hmm.
0: it doesn't really explain it but allows you to interpret it and inter- or to interpret certain things that happen so at the end after he's done his whole uh dot 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 dash 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 dot 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 from the inside of a black hole mm-hmm. he is then released through the wormhole by these benevolent aliens slash future humans the tesseract closes a 4d cube um and he spits out uh, by saturn which just happens to be where one of these space stations is That the gravity equation that he's managed to give to his daughter has solved. We are now able Uh to move a mass amount of people in space station sized vehicles from the surface of the earth, uh, uh, Uh thereby saving most of the population. There's a couple of things I don't have. It's not problems, but they're kind of like discussion points. And that's why Uh I love this film, because I'm driving home from the cinema after I originally watched this with the wife buzzing it must yeah. have been half past eleven, living chris i didn't have any alcohol or caffeine or anything but we're talking all the way home because of these kind of things yeah things like like would solving gravity on earth not destroy it so to to <laughs> to raise these massive vehicles up apparently that is one of the issues with the the science from kip thorne is because it's all it's all theoretical yeah uh one of the theories is that basically you would tear the earth apart to to raise these kind of gargantuan vehicles off the surface that's one thing Mm -hmm. second thing that occurred to me is why don't they just colonize mars like i know they don't have like uh the ability to breathe on mars and obviously uh, crops but could they not just put all of their resources
1: into colonizing mars yeah just building some sort of i I mean we're fucking talking about it for a reality tv show surely they could talk about it right i mean they've got time right
0: I, I, the, the way that i again it's not an issue with the film it's just more like a discussion point so
1: like why did it need to be space stations basically
0: why did why did they, why did they have to go through the wormhole to another part of the galaxy why not just go to like mars um the way that i uh made peace with it was basically that they have such little resources that um, they are never going to be able to get enough resources from Earth to be able to build the rockets and mm. pieces and everything to fully colonize Mars. So they have to take these massive kind of ships away.
1: Yeah, and I suppose what what you're dealing with as well is, um, I mean, I don't know so much in terms of the giant ships, but in terms of the planet that Anne Hathaway goes on to sort of begin colonizing. it You know, it's it's an Earth-type planet it has the kind of atmosphere they need so it can naturally grow resources. Whereas say on Mars, we wouldn't be able to naturally grow resources. And if they had the ability to unnaturally grow said resources, they could just do that on earth. So I think that's part of the problem. They need to be somewhere where they can create an atmosphere that will just allow resources to naturally occur again, which I presume part of the backstory is that these big space stations can do that as well because they're free of the blight. Uh, I was a little unclear on that. I mean, actually, as I was watching it, I was a little unclear on exactly what they needed to solve the gravity formula in order to be well, able to do.
0: That's 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 excellent. So I think in the cinema, I just let it wash over me. But the second time when I was sitting there on the couch watching this, I had the exact same thing. There was like, what is solution A? I must have just missed it.
1: Because they don't it's actually like... tell you, do they? They don't make it explicit. Yeah. It,
0: it's, it's hidden in a line of dialogue when I think Michael Caine is explaining to... To Matthew McConaughey, but basically, the gravity equation is that there is not enough power, it's not enough thrust to be able to get massive vehicles that could take thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people up into space. You could only do it like one shuttle at a time. Uh Kind of Newton's third law of dynamics and all that stuff, right? So, equal and opposite reaction. So, you need more power to be able to push against that to be
1: able to break orbit. Yeah, to be able to get the velocity to escape Earth's gravity. What the, the film
0: conveniently does is basically says that, well, the only way to get that kind of information on gravity is go to a black hole and no one would be able to, you know, there's not black holes everywhere. Yeah. So they just happen to find one. And I guess that's another thing that kind of came up is, well, maybe if we invented, invented, if we created the Tesseract at the single, in the singularity in the far future or in the far past when we're, <laughs> when we're yeah. advanced beings, then I guess we, we created Gargantua as well yeah i suppose we could have to to solve our own gravity equation
1: you know speaking of some you know a massive vehicle that would tear the earth apart that's actually something i read about the heli carrier from the the marvel films right is that the amount of down thrust that a vehicle of that size would have to create in order to stay afloat would basically destroy the earth beneath it and for one thing it wouldn't Exactly, be a secret where it was at any given time. So <laughs> it'd actually be a terrible mode of transport. Typical shield, fucking all over us. <laughs> exactly. Nick Fury doesn't care about you. Chris, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, yeah. So I think yeah, I think that covers everything I wanted to to say. But yeah, all told, love the film. Um, you know, I feel like there's so much we haven't talked about about it because it's you know it's a long film um, and there's a lot to. Oh yeah, we we haven't
0: touched on Casey Affleck, or Jessica Chastain, or uh, Topher Grace is even in there as well. Yeah, Uh, known
1: best for his role as Venom in uh, Spider-Man 3. Uh, A film I believe you like, (laughs) as opposed to the rest of the human race. (laughs) We'll talk about that on another podcast, definitely. But um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're doing a disservice not mentioning a bit about Jessica Chastain and just, yeah, she is kind of, in many ways, the hero. Um, because, uh, you know, it's 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 her who, who kind of figures everything out in the last minute and basically completes plan A uh, while, while simultaneously uh, Anne Hathaway creates plan B. Um, so basically, you know, women both save the uh, human race, which is quite a good thing. <laughs>
0: that is quite a good thing, mothers. What Only because of it? a man.
1: <laughs> in <laughs> both cases, if it wasn't for Matthew McConaughey, neither of them would have been successful. <laughs> so... I...
0: As I take it, Chris, Matthew McConaughey has to mansplain the universe to women in order for the human race to be solved. Is that what I'm taking from you?
1: All right, all right, all right. (laughs) All right, slick. (laughs) Oh, love it. I just feel like going and watching a shitload of Matthew McConaughey films there.
0: You're right. there's, There's so much to talk about, and this is going to be long, and I'm going to have a nightmare editing it. But ultimately, I love the film... Even with its flaws, because it doesn't talk down to us, it gives us these big ideas and these big things to grasp with, whether it's um with it's science whether it's humanity you know whether it's trying to overcome our petty uh, the petty things that drive us the
1: it yeah but it's it's very it's very grand in scope, and yeah like you say it's 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 unafraid and unapologetic about that you know at times it's almost too grand, it feels like there's you know. You know there's a there's a lot of big ideas here and and they weren't going to shy away from them but yeah ultimately for comparatively few flaws as it is it's uh it's a wonderful film that's well carried off and um you know as i say it doesn't it does not feel like it's runtime which is 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 high praise for me because exactly i hate it actually, a long movie it
0: was actually longer than godfather three which was our last podcast oh boy did that feel longer <laughs> <laughs> that felt longer than this. It really did. I think uh, for a lot for a film that was close to three hours in Interstellar, it, it did not feel like three hours, which is, I think, a great testament to its pacing and just how interested it keeps you going back and forth between Earth and Interstellar space and everything else that's going on in between. I, I really enjoyed this film. I'm glad you enjoyed it too, Chris. Even though it does have a few warts, um, they're quite minor, and I think it's still, um, it's still a film that... It, at the very least will get you talking even if you don't get the sides don't like science fiction it's something that you will uh, sit down watch and go what the fuck was that that's great you know (laughs) for us it's great for other people it might not be great but it's um it's certainly a film worth talking about and as i'm kind of keen to point out it's not a franchise it's not a sequel and it's a nice bit of uh, original filmmaking even if it is a nod to things like 2001 it's fantastic so chris what am i going to be diving into in two weeks time
1: Okay, so here we go. So I've already given you a bit of a preface here that that it's going to be a big task. You have warned me of something is coming. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. And you throw it back at me if you don't think it's going to work. <laughs> Changing it up a little bit, I would like you to listen to the first series, which is 12, um, 12 casts of Serial, the, the uh, massive pop culture phenomenon podcast serial. So it's so I've I've done my research so I've I've listened to it before myself and I kind of just want to do it because I have no one to talk about it with. <laughs> so I, I kind of want you to listen to it. but you know it does it does actually very much fit the mold of what we're doing here which is that is you know it was a big event um culturally uh, that 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 passed you by and that you didn't um you know partake in and I actually found about it found out about it through every other podcast I listened to because when the final episode aired, they almost all did an episode where they at least mentioned like, so did you listen to the end of serial? What did you think
0: okay okay well i will I will do that. I've always wanted to listen to it, so i will I will listen to it
1: fantastic.
0: Can I make some mockery of the name of our podcast? What are we watching rather than listening so <laughs> I have issues with that, Chris. I have real issues with listening instead of watching. But uh, for you, I'll, I'll
1: do it. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. All right.
0: That's all for this episode. We'll be back in two weeks. In the meantime, if you wish, you can keep in touch with us. You can follow us on Twitter at O Brother Pod. That's O without an H. So it's like the name of the podcast. Uh, you can like us at Facebook. It's facebook.com slash O Brother Podcast. And finally, we ask that you subscribe and review on iTunes stitcher and tune in. so i've been steve he's been chris and we'll see you all next time